knows better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. When I was a kid, I didn't like it when my parents wouldn't give me a reason why for something. Uh, my parents would tell me to do something or not to do something, and I'd always want to know, you know, why do I have to do this? Why should I wash the dishes? Why should I clean up my room? Why should I do my homework? Why shouldn't I hit my brother? Why shouldn't I leave my clothes on the floor? And their response was usually just, because I say so. You know, I used to hate that response from parents when I was a kid, and now that I'm a parent, I have used that many times. But you know, sometimes I would like to push things a, a little bit farther, and you know, and I'd say, well, you know, why again? And they would ultimately just say, because I'm the boss. And if I was really in the mood for you know some discipline, I would say, why are you the boss? And I never got an answer to that. I just got discipline. But you know what, when I got older, I still, you know, I don't like it when I don't have a reason why for the things that I want to know. Why someone did what they did, why something works the way it should, you know, why I should or shouldn't do a certain thing, why I shouldn't or shouldn't believe a certain way. And I'm sure many of you are like that. You want to know that answer. You want to know why to the questions that you have. And because I like to understand why, that's one of the reasons I love what we're celebrating this morning. I love the biblical account of the resurrection of Jesus. Now, you might be thinking, you know, why does, you know, the biblical account of the resurrection of Jesus have anything to do with the fact that you like to have answers for why? Well, the reason is because the biblical account of the resurrection gives us reasons why to some of the most important questions that we have about God. Some of the most important questions that the Bible is going to bring as you read it, without the resurrection, you can't have the answer why for many of these questions. For example, at Christmas we celebrate, many people call it the the birth of Jesus, but it's really more than that. We refer to it as the incarnation. When I speak of the incarnation, I'm speaking of God becoming one of us, becoming a man and, and dwelling among us. And we know the story of him being born as a baby. But you know what? That wonderful truth of the incarnation brings with it several why questions. Why was Jesus born as a baby? Why did God choose to leave his throne in heaven and become one of us and and dwell here on earth? Why would God want to become one of us? Well, the answer why to those very important questions are found in the account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
And so what we're celebrating this morning reveals why Jesus was born. It reveals why He became one of us. It reveals His purpose in coming to this earth. And it reveals many things about Himself. And this is one of the reasons I love to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, because I want to know the reason why for these great, important, significant questions that we have. Now, the resurrection account not only answers these important questions, but it also reveals some things and proves some things to us about Jesus Christ, about who He is and about what He's done for us. And so I'm excited to share with you how the resurrection of Jesus answers some of the most important why questions that hopefully you have pondered, that you have asked, and that this will answer. And so we're going to answer some of these questions this morning. And one of the main questions that we're going to focus on getting an answer for is why did God leave his throne in heaven and become one of us? Now, as many of you know, the account of Jesus' resurrection starts with his death. And it makes sense because guess what? You can't rise from the dead until you first have actually died. And so, you know, we start all of this with Jesus' death. And the death of Jesus reveals one of the main purposes that answers that why question. Why did God choose to leave heaven and become one of us? Why did he choose to be born as a baby? And one of the answers to that question is to die. Now, if you talk with some people who have no understanding of the Bible, that, that seems really odd to them. You know, why would God choose to become one of us just for the purpose of dying? Jesus died on a Friday. We refer to it as Good Friday. And when you kind of think about that, if you're not familiar with you know, what Christianity believes, that seems to be an odd thing. I know I've had people ask me, you know, why do you refer to the death of the God that you serve as Good Friday? Why is that something that's good? I'm sure that many of you have had loved ones that have passed away, people that you were close to that died. I was very close to my grandmother. When I was 13 years old, I vividly remember the day that I came home from school. My parents weren't home. All of a sudden, they come back from the hospital where my grandmother was with cancer. There's tears in their eyes, and they share with me that my grandmother had died. That was a Wednesday. I don't refer to that, looking back on that, as Good Wednesday. That wasn't a good day for me. That was a day full of sadness. That was a day full of sorrow. That was a day full of grief. That was a bad day. So why do we as Christians, when we look back on the day that Jesus died for us, why, why do we call that Good Friday? What was good about Jesus' death? Well, to answer that question... We need to understand some important things. First, we need to understand the important truth of what the resurrection proves, what the resurrection reveals about Jesus, which we'll look at as well. But there's something else that we need to know. We need to understand something about us. Two very important things that the Bible reveals about you, that the Bible reveals about me. Because until we understand these truths, we can't really grasp why Jesus' death is something that is good. The first important thing that you and I need to understand about ourselves is it's told to us in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
You know, the Bible makes very clear in many passages of Scripture that every single person who lives on this earth is sinful. We all have sinned. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. Now, I find this interesting because I'm sure if you have talked with people, you know, most people want to refer to themselves as a good person. Most people see themselves as a good person. They don't typically identify themselves as a sinful person. And if you talk to a lot of people, you know, many of them have done a lot of good things. Some people have done a real lot of good things. But what we need to understand is doing good things doesn't change the fact that we're also guilty of doing bad things. We're also guilty of sin. Every one of us is a sinner. You know, we use that term so often, and I find that some people, you know, they don't really even know, well, what does that mean when you say that I'm a sinner? What is this word in the Bible even referring to? The word sin in the Bible means to miss the mark. This word was actually a term used in archery. The mark that you're trying to hit in archery is the the bullseye. And so anything that doesn't hit the bullseye is to miss that mark. Doesn't matter how close you get. Ultimately, if you miss the bullseye, you have failed. You have missed the mark that you were supposed to hit. Well, God is the one who establishes what the mark is. He is the one who has set the standard of what we are supposed to hit. And God's standard is perfection. He's the one who reveals what His perfect standard is in the Bible. And anything that does not meet God's perfect standard is sin. Now, we could list a lot of sins, and we could all realize that, yeah, I'm guilty of lying, or maybe maybe not murder, but murder in the heart of wanting to be angry and kill someone, or, or gossip, or adultery, or coveting, or idolatry. There's so many sins out there that you know, we are guilty of doing. But the reality is, sin is missing the mark of God's perfect standard. Now, the problem that all of us have is that we've all failed. Every one of us have failed to meet the standard that God has established. We're in the same boat. But you know, oftentimes we struggle with accepting that truth. We struggle with accepting the reality that I am a sinner just like this person over there, especially if we see them as as much worse than we are. Let me give you an example of why it's so important to understand that all of us have fallen short of God's perfect standard. If after this service I say, you know, let's all go outside, and, and I'm sure that many of you maybe, you know, if you have kids or grandkids, you, you painted some hard-boiled eggs together. And let's say we, we took those eggs, and I say, you know, we're going to have an Easter egg throwing contest. And the person who hits the mark that I'm going to give, we're going to have them win $100. And I'm sure we'd all get excited and we'd get stretched out, get ready to throw these Easter eggs. And then I throw in something that would be problematic for all of us. The mark that we're aiming for is the Toyota Center in downtown Houston. And once you would hear where the mark is, we'd all come to the same conclusion that no matter how far I can throw this egg, nobody is going to hit the mark of the Toyota Center. Now, some of you are going to throw that Easter egg farther than others. Some of you are going to get closer to the Toyota Center than others. Some of you aren't going to make it, you know, even five feet. Some of you aren't going to make it out of the parking lot. Some of you are going to throw it farther than others. But you know what? We're all going to miss the mark. Now, when the competition was over, some of you might start bragging. 
how you threw that Easter egg farther than others. Some of you might think, man, I did really well because I got closer than you did. If that's the way that you thought, it would reveal that you were measuring how well you did by comparing yourself to how others did instead of comparing yourself to the standard of the game, which was, I got to hit the Toyota Center. And when you look at where your egg fell in comparison to the Toyota Center, you realize, I failed miserably. But if I'm just comparing myself to other people who are weaker than me, I can say, well, I I at least got farther than you. I've done so well. Now, the reason that I share this illustration is because this is how we often are with sin. Instead of recognizing the standard is perfection and I fall so short of that standard, I am a sinful person. I don't compare myself that way. I look around at other people. And it's so easy to find at least one person who sins more than me. At least one person who's not doing the good things that I'm doing. And so I can look and I can compare myself with other people and I can conclude, hey, I'm I'm doing pretty good. But the reality is, no, I'm not. Because the standard is perfection. And I'm nowhere close to that. We have all fallen short. We're all sinful. We've all missed the mark of God's perfect standard. Guess what? We miss it one time, and we're guilty. And it doesn't matter how many times I might hit it in the future. It doesn't matter how many times I might do good things in the future. It will not change the reality that I'm already guilty, that I've already failed. Nothing we do can change that fact. Something else important to understand is we're not judged by God by how well we measure up to others. We're judged by God by how well we measure up to His perfect standard. And that's a problem because none of us do. And this is the second thing that I want us to note. The first is that we're all sinners and we have fallen short of God's perfect standard. The second thing we need to understand about ourselves is what our sin has done to us. The Bible tells us in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. You know, a wage is something that you earn for everyone here who has a job. You know, you do hard work and, you know, after one week or two weeks or a month, however you get paid, you're going to get a wage. You've earned that money for the work that you've done. Well, the Bible's saying our sin, what we have done that hasn't met the perfect standard of God, it also has earned us something. But it hasn't earned us something that we want. It hasn't earned us something that is good. It has earned us death. And something very important about this word here, speaking of death, it's not just speaking of physical death, it's also referring to spiritual death. Spiritual death in the Bible is ultimately the ultimate consequence of sin, which is hell. Our sin has earned us separation from God, but it has also earned us judgment from God. And both of those things is what hell consists of, a separation from God and the judgment of God poured out upon those who are sinful. You see, something important to understand about God is, first, He's sinless, but He's also perfect. He's holy. He's righteous. And because of that, He cannot allow sin into His presence. And so our sin separates us from God. But you know what? The Bible also tells us that God is a just judge. And because he's a just judge, he cannot just allow our sin to go unpunished. He cannot just say, well, I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm just going to let it go. No, that would change his justice. Because he's a just judge, he must punish sin. Now, this is something about God that many people don't understand. 
There are many people who think, you know, well, well God's just a God of love. And since he's a God of love, you know, when I die, he's going to accept me into heaven. And it doesn't really matter that I'm a sinful person. It doesn't matter that I haven't done what he's commanded me to do. You know, but he's a God of love. And love's just going to win out and I'm going to get in. Others think a little bit differently. Well, yeah, I might be a sinful person, but you know what? My good outweighs my bad. I've done some bad things, but I've done more good things. And so when I stand before God, he's going to look at my good and he's going to say, well, let's kind of weigh this out. And yeah, you've done more good than bad. And so I'm going to let you into heaven because of the good things you've done that have outweighed the bad things that you've done. And that group of people as well is thinking, hey, well, God's just a God of love. And so he's going to be able just to excuse the bad because of the good that I have done. But here's the problem with the thinking of both of these groups. God is not just a God of love. He is a God of love, and we're going to see how his love was displayed in a powerful way this morning. But that is not all that God is. He is also a God who is holy and perfect and a just judge. And because of that, he must punish sin because of his justice. Let me give an example to help you try and understand this better. Let's say that someone broke into your house, and they stabbed to death someone that you deeply love. Maybe it's your spouse, your child, just someone that you love deeply has now been murdered by this person. And they're caught. They're arrested. And now they stand before a judge. And they're guilty. They know they're guilty. They admit to their guilt. Now imagine if this guilty murderer comes before this judge and says, I know I'm guilty of murder. But, but I'll spend the rest of my life doing good works if you don't send me to prison, if you don't punish me for this crime. Please show me love and don't punish me for this murder. Now, if the judge said, okay, you can go free, no punishment, you're free to go. Would you, as the loved one of that person who was murdered, feel that that was justice? Would you feel justice happened for this person who was killed? that that judge was acting justly. I'm sure that all of us would say, no, that crime needs to be punished. That person took my loved one. They need to pay for that. And it doesn't matter if the person spends the rest of their life obeying the law or doing good works. That's what we expect of them anyway. They're guilty of murder and they need to be punished. You see, God is a just judge and because he cannot allow sin to go unpunished. And we are faced with a very big problem. And hopefully this picture helps you better understand the problem that each one of us face. Our problem, as we noted, we are sinners. We've all fallen short of the perfect standard that God has established. And our sin has done two horrible things to us. First, it has separated us from God. We cannot have a relationship with Him. He cannot have us in His presence because of the sin that we have committed. And the second thing our sin has done is it brought the judgment of God upon us. Because He is just, He must judge our sin. And the Bible tells us that the ultimate judgment that we will face as we stand before God after we die is the judgment of hell. A place of eternal punishment and separation from God. Now that's some pretty bad news. The bad news that you and I are sinners. The bad news that our sin has separated us from God. The bad news that we are now going to suffer the judgment of God. 
But you know what? These are the two things that you got to understand about yourself before you can understand the answer to the question, what is good about Jesus' death? You see, you got to understand the bad news about yourself before you can understand the good news of how Jesus' death impacts your life. You see, God loves each and every person in this world. He knew what our sin has done. He knew our sin separated us from Him. He knew that in His justice, He would have to punish and judge our sin. And so He came up with a plan to save us from our sin, to save us from the separation and give us a relationship, to save us from the judgment of our sin and bring us forgiveness. He came up with a very important plan to save us without denying who He is. You see, many people who are saying, well, well, God's just going to let me in because he's a God of love. He can't because he'd have to deny who he was to do it. So he says, I'm going to come up with a plan that's going to save you and it will not cause me to deny who I am. It won't cause me to deny my justice. It won't cause me to deny my holiness, to deny my perfection. And the only way that God could do that without denying who he is was for him to come personally and to pay the price of our sin himself. And that is what he did. When Jesus was born as a baby in Bethlehem, he became one of us. But not only did he just become one of us, he did the thing that none of us could do. He lived a sinless life. He was the one who kept God's perfect standard completely, something that all of us have fallen short in, something that all of us fail in. And after living a sinless life as one of us, Jesus did the most important thing of all. He went to the cross. He died in our place. He took the judgment that we deserve upon Himself. He took our sin upon Himself so that we could be forgiven and not be judged, so that we could have a relationship and no longer be separated from Him. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 reveals when Jesus did this wonderful thing for us, But God demonstrates His own love towards us and that while we are sinners, Christ died for us. God loves each one of us so much that He says, even though you are sinful, I am going to come and I am going to die for your sins. I am going to take the judgment you deserve. I'm going to take the punishment you deserve. I'm going to take your place. Let me give you an example that will help you better understand what Jesus did when He died in our place on the cross. I want you to imagine right now, even as I think back on my grandmother's death of cancer, I want you to imagine that you're in the hospital. Your body is full of cancer. The doctor comes and says, you know, you maybe have one or two days left to live. You need to get your affairs in order. And then I come into that hospital room and I tell you, I can do something wonderful for you. I can take the healthy cells, the cancer-free cells that are in my body, and I can place them into your body. And then I can take the cancer cells that are killing you, and I can place them into my body. Now, if I were to do that for you, you would live. Because the cancer that was killing you would be removed from your body, and the healthy cells from me would be given to you. But guess what? I would have to die. Because I now would be taking what was killing you upon myself. You see, our problem isn't that we have cancer. Our problem is that we have sin. Our sin is the thing that is killing us. 
The wages of sin is death, both physically and spiritually. And Jesus is saying, you know what? I have this wonderful exchange for you. I haven't sinned. I lived a sinless life. I kept the perfect standard of God. And I offer you my sinlessness. I will give it to you. And I will take your sin that's in you, that is killing you, and I will put it upon myself. So that you can live. So that you can have life. So that you can have forgiveness. But in order for that to happen, I have to die. I'm exchanging my life for yours. I'm giving you the opportunity to deal with this sin. This wonderful exchange happened as Jesus went to the cross. He took our sin, which brings us death, and He says, I'm going to give you the wonderful exchange that now you can have life eternally with me in heaven. He took the consequences of our sin, which was hell, and gave us the wonderful exchange of you no longer have to have eternal judgment. You can have eternal life. You see, our problem is that we are sinners, which separates us from God, brings the judgment of God upon us because He is a just judge. But there's good news. The good news is that God had a remedy. A way to save us from our sin and its judgment. And the remedy was Jesus' death on the cross for our sins. As you can see from this picture, Jesus' death on the cross is the thing that took us from being separated from God and bridged that gap. So now that we can have a relationship with God and protects us from the judgment that you and I deserve because of our sin. The cross enables us to be forgiven. The cross enables us to have a relationship with God and for Him to still be just. Because you know what? Our sin was paid for. God judged our sin. But the reality is He judged His Son, Jesus Christ, in our place. Jesus took the punishment, so God is still just because the sin's been punished. He just said, I took it for you so that you don't have to, so that you can be free, so that you can be forgiven. Jesus' death for us is what made possible a relationship with God. It makes possible an eternity in heaven with Him. This is why we as Christians, when we look back on the day that Jesus died, we call it Good Friday. It's good because of what it has done for us. It's good because of all that Jesus did now gives us the ability to have a relationship with God, to be forgiven of our sins. Because if Jesus didn't do that, we'd be lost. There'd be nothing that we could do to have a relationship with God, nothing that we could do, no works that we could accomplish that could make up for the sin that we have committed. But because of what Jesus did, we have the goodness of what comes with it. Now, maybe you're thinking, you know, how can I be confident that Jesus is God? How can I be confident that Jesus has the power to save me from my sin? How can I be confident that Jesus is capable of doing this for me? Well, the answer to those questions are found in what we're celebrating this morning. They're found in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. You see, the reason that we can be confident that Jesus is who He claimed to be The reason we can be confident that He has the power to forgive sin is because He died on a cross. He was buried in a tomb. But three days later, He rose from the dead. You know, whenever I share about the resurrection, I'm always wanting to share the overwhelming evidence for it because I know this is one of the biggest things that people want to attack, that people want to say, well, your whole belief system is based on the resurrection. Well, that's true. 
But the wonderful thing for us as Christians is there's overwhelming evidence for it. I'm not going to go into all that evidence this morning, but I do, before I move on, just want to encourage you, if that's a question that you have and you're thinking, well, i got to see this evidence before I can be confident in the reality that this is something that Jesus did and it proves who He is. Two Easter's ago, I spent a whole sermon looking at the evidence for Jesus' resurrection. You can go online and look at that. If you're someone who likes to watch a movie, I would encourage you to watch The Case for Christ on Netflix. It's a true story about a man named Lee Strobel. He was a journalist for the Chicago Tribune, and he ultimately set out to disprove Christianity, and he thought, well, what better place to start than the resurrection? If I can undermine the resurrection, everything else that Christianity believes will crumble and fall, and so he goes out to disprove the resurrection. And in the process, he discovers the overwhelming evidence that there is, and this atheist who goes to disprove the resurrection of Jesus ends up becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, gives his life to Jesus Christ because the evidence pointed so clearly that Jesus truly did rise from the dead. A great movie. I encourage you to watch it. Lee Strobel said this, I didn't become a Christian because God promised I would have an even happier life than I did as an atheist. He never promised any such thing. Indeed, following Him would inevitably uh, bring divine demotion in the eyes of the world. Rather, I became a Christian because the evidence was so compelling that Jesus really is the one and only Son of God who proved His divinity by rising from the dead. That meant following Him was the most rational and logical step I could possibly take. So as Christians, we don't believe in the resurrection because we have this blind leap into the absurd, as many in the world believe. We believe in the resurrection because we have overwhelming evidence to prove that it actually happened. But you know what? Jesus' resurrection is the most important event in all of history. And it's the most important event in all of history for many reasons, but I just want to look at two of those reasons this morning to help answer the why question that we established at the beginning. The first reason the resurrection is so important is because it proves that Jesus is who He claimed to be, God. Romans chapter 1, verse 4 says this, Jesus Christ was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Notice what this is saying. The reason that we can be confident that Jesus is who He declared Himself to be is because He rose from the dead. <laughs> because only God can rise from the dead. Guess what? You die, you're staying dead. You don't have the power to bring yourself back. Only God has the power to do that. And the fact that He did that proves that He is who He claimed to be. But you know what? It also proves something else. It proves that He has the power to forgive sins. Because only God can forgive sins as well. The second reason why the resurrection is so important is because the resurrection proves that Jesus conquered death. Romans 6, 9 and 10 says, Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life that He lives, He lives to God. When Jesus rose from the dead, he conquered, he overcame death. Not just physical death, but as we noted, the wages of sin is death, speaking of both physical and spiritual death. 
Jesus not only conquered physical death, but he also conquered something far more important for us, spiritual death. So that you and I can be confident that we too, because we place our faith in him, that when we die in this life, we will not be sent to eternal judgment to hell, but that we will escape that because of what Jesus has done and made possible for us to spend eternity with him in heaven. John 11, 25 and 26, Jesus says something very important about himself. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus wants us to understand he is the resurrection. He is the one who gives life. And if you believe in Jesus Christ, he will offer you and give to you eternal life. But notice that Jesus finishes his statement by asking a very important question. Do you believe this? Because that's the reality of it. So many people don't believe the truth of what Jesus has done. And because they don't believe the truth of what Jesus has done, what he has done does not impact them in the way that it could. Because Jesus says, if you want this to be real for you, if you want the benefit of this to be in your life, you have to make a choice to believe it. So he's posing that question. This is what I am. I'm the resurrection and the life. But do you believe it? Do you personally accept that that's who I am and what I can offer to you? Because that is the requirement that I give to you in order to receive it. Jesus says something else about himself in John 14, 6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Notice what Jesus is revealing here. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody, I don't care who they are, can get to God the Father, can get to heaven, can have forgiveness of sins. None of these things are possible except through me. You know, people want to believe there's all sorts of paths to God, all sorts of ways to get there, things that I can do. But the reality is Jesus makes very clear, no, there's only one way. One way to forgiveness, one way to eternal life, one way to heaven. And that is through believing in what Jesus has done for us. Believing that he is God, believing that he died on the cross for our sin, and believing that he rose from the dead to conquer sin and death. If you want forgiveness of your sins, if you want to escape the punishment of your sins, if you want a relationship with God and you want to spend eternity with him in heaven, there's only one way that's possible. And that one way is believing in Jesus Christ. You know, many people think, no, no, there's another way. I I can kind of believe in Jesus for for some of it, but ultimately I'm also believing in what I do. My good works are going to be the thing that ultimately gets me there, ultimately gets me through the pearly gates and through into heaven. But you know what? The Bible says something different. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves... It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. This verse makes very clear, salvation is something that is a free gift given by God's grace. And it's received through faith. It's given through faith and through grace. But you know what it's not received and given through? Works. Very clear, not by works. This is not what's going to get you into heaven. It's not what's going to make God accept you. 
Too often people think, well, that's the way that I got to get right with God. That's the way that I got to have a relationship with God. I got to do all these good things to win his approval, to win his love, to win his acceptance, to win his salvation. But the reality is we can never do enough to earn that. We can never do enough to receive that. Jesus did the work. And the Bible says we have to place our faith in the work of Jesus, not in the work of ourselves. And what he has done for us, not what we will do for God. That's what ultimately saves us. That's what enables us to be forgiven. But you know, there's something very important to understand. This is a free gift, but God doesn't force people to take it. He's done everything necessary. He's done it all. He says, here, I've done all the work. I just offer this free gift to you. If you will believe in me, believe in who I am, believe in what I've done, I'll forgive you. I'll save you. I paid the punishment already. But it's up to you. I'm not going to force you to take this free gift. I'm not going to force you to accept what I've done. I'm not going to force you to believe in me. That's something that you have to choose for yourself. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is one of the most quoted verses in the Bible and it's one of the, the greatest truths that are there that God loves you and I so much that He gave His only begotten Son to die on a cross for our sin. And that whoever believes in Jesus Christ will not perish in hell for all eternity, but will have the blessing of eternal life in heaven, forgiven of their sins in a relationship with God. But notice in order for that to happen, you got to believe in Jesus. You have to make a choice to believe the fact that He is God, to believe in what He has done for you. The way to receive this wonderful free gift is to put our trust in Jesus Christ. You see, the account of the resurrection answers this very important question. Why in the world did God choose to leave His throne in heaven, come to this earth as a baby, and become one of us? He came because He had an ultimate plan, a plan to save us, a plan to restore the relationship that was lost in the Garden of Eden when man first sinned. And his plan was to send his son, Jesus Christ, to live a sinless life, to die on a cross, and to rise from the dead, to conquer sin and death, so that you and I would now have the opportunity to be forgiven of our sins, have the opportunity to have a relationship with God. And God says, all you need to do is put your trust in me. I've done the rest. I've done the work. What Jesus did on the cross bridged that gap that our sin made between us and God. And we have the wonderful privilege of having the ability to be forgiven, the ability to have a relationship with God. If you're here this morning and you have never placed your faith in Jesus alone, maybe you've been to church, maybe you've heard the story, maybe you believe that Jesus is you know, God, but, but you never really believe that belief in Him alone would save you. That it's Him plus what I do that ultimately is going to get me there. If you've never said, Lord, belief in You, trust in You alone, I, I, I choose that today. I choose to accept what You have done as the basis of my salvation. I want forgiveness of my sin. If you've never done that, I want today to be the day that you get the opportunity 
to make the most important decision you will ever make, a decision that will impact your eternity. But you know what? Maybe you're here this morning and you say, no, uh, I've been to church before. Uh, I've come maybe on Easter before, and I heard this message before, and I've accepted Jesus. I put my faith in him. But you know what? It's been a long time since I lived for God. I've separated myself. God did all this to to have a relationship with me, and I've chose to to not have a relationship with Him. I've chose not to spend time with Him. I've chose not to read the Bible. I've chose not to really be in fellowship with other believers at church. And and you're here this morning, you say, you know what? I want to make a change. I want to get back to that person who follows Jesus, who lives for Jesus, who loves Jesus. And I want to give you an opportunity. If that's you, and you've been running, you haven't, you've been separated, you haven't had a, a good relationship with him, that, hey, ask for his forgiveness and ask him to help things to change today. Let's pray.